0: Father, you are truly our Father. You are good to us. You have called us and loved us, and we are your people. You have adopted us into your family, and we have received grace from you. You have all the riches of glory and honor, and everything in the universe belongs to you. And because of that, you alone are to be praised and worshipped. And that is what we do this morning in lifting our hearts to you. And because you have all the riches and glory and power in the universe, we ask this morning that you would strengthen us by your spirit. Father, motivate us. Fortify us. Build us up in the faith this morning. That's what we need. Bring us deeper into our faith. Help us to trust and to believe in you and in your word. And we pray specifically this morning, Father, that you would give us the ability to grasp Christ's love for us. We need it. We want to understand that Christ's love for us is broad and deep like the ocean. We can never empty it, and we can never fully grasp it. And so we need your strength this morning, Father, to be able to begin to enter into that love and to understand that love. And we want you to do that in us this morning so that we can be filled up in our character to look like Jesus Christ that's our prayer to you this morning, Father, knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think, because your power is at work within us, even now, even during this time of national crisis and concern, your power is at work in us as your church. And so we pray that through us, you would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. That's our desire this morning. That's our prayer, and it begins with you strengthening us to to know the love of Christ. We also pray this morning, Father, for those in our body who are particularly at risk during this time. We pray that you would protect them and keep them. We pray for the healthcare providers in our community. We pray that you would keep them safe as well, give them wisdom, give them strength and endurance to be able to meet needs as they arise. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us and keep us during this time. We pray that you would provide opportunities for us to reach out to those in our neighborhoods and in our community who have needs, that we would demonstrate the love of Christ to them, and it would provide an opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel to those who need it most. We thank you for your grace and your love and your strengthening power, and we pray that you would be with us even now as we open your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you can take your Bible this morning, if you have it there with you, and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to continue talking about the gospel armor that we have in Ephesians 6. Now, I've told you many times before, uh, if you've heard me preach at all, I've mentioned the frequent mission trips that I've taken to Nepal um, over in Asia. And I took those trips, five of them, while I was on staff at our church in Lynchburg from 2011 to 2015, and I always enjoyed those trips, as you've heard me say before, but one of the things that I really enjoyed doing when we were there is when we had a day off of teaching, normally near the end of the trip, we would take uh, the day, and we would go out to eat, and we would make a visit to the tourist markets in the capital city of Kathmandu. Now, lots of people go to Nepal to hike and to climb. There's obviously the Himalayan mountains there. They do treks through the mountains. And so these tourist markets that are in the capital city are filled with lots of outdoor gear. There's climbing gear. There's hiking gear. There there are fleeces and jackets and coats and gloves and carabiners and everything else you would need to do a hike or a climb in the Himalayas. And as you go into these little shops that sell these, uh, the hats and, and jackets and all of that, they, they have all of these brand names on them. The North Face, Patagonia, Columbia. And so you're amazed with all of these different products that you can get for a pretty inexpensive price. But when you walk into these shops and they have the logo of the North Face on them, it looks like the North Face, but it's actually not. They're not genuine North Face pieces of clothing. What happens is the people in these markets sew logos of famous brands onto jackets and onto shoes and onto shirts. And they do this to make you believe that you are buying something of high quality. And in reality, when you buy these articles of clothing, the zippers don't actually zip all the time. And... Some of the seams on the jackets fray pretty easily and quickly. Now, for me, this was not much of a problem because I'm not doing anything too serious with the clothes that I buy from these shops. But if I were going to Nepal and I was actually going to do a serious hike or a serious climb and I was dependent on the equipment or the clothing that I was wearing and using, I would be incredibly hesitant to go into one of these markets and buy from them. In fact, I wouldn't go in and buy stuff from one of these markets. I would want to make sure before I put my life in the hands of these articles of clothing or the carabiner that I was using, I would want to make sure that I knew the quality and the source of the items that I was counting on to keep me safe in dangerous and difficult moments. Now, that is exactly Paul's concern in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And that's his concern for believers who are engaged in spiritual warfare. What equipment are you using and counting on to protect you in the midst of a very heated battle? Your spiritual life is on the line. Are you depending on your own strength and your own armor to keep you safe? Or have you put your life in the hands of someone far more powerful who will provide everything you need to endure the fight? We've been walking through this passage here where Paul is addressing this very issue, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And this passage is the culmination of the entire letter to the Ephesians. Paul has, in chapters 1 to 3, established the assets that we have, the, the equipment, the benefits that we have through our union with Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he's telling us to use those benefits, that equipment that we have received. And so we respond to the benefits by walking worthy of our calling in Christ. And so now he summarizes the entire letter and puts both of those pieces together. And he gives us four tactics necessary to resist our spiritual enemy with God's strength. And that's what we've been seeing in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And so I want to walk you back through this very quickly and show you how he's really building an argument through this passage, which is going to sort of come to its pinnacle today in the specific pieces of armor. So four tactics necessary to resist our spiritual enemy with God's strength. First of all, we are to, in verse 10, rely on God's power at work in us or in you. And so you can see in verse 10 that Paul begins by exhorting us not to rely on our own strength, but on God's mighty power. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this is really the lead for the entire paragraph for the entire section. This is a summary of the whole section. Our sinful human condition constantly pushes us to depend on our own ability. We think we've got it. But the most important step in preparation for spiritual battle is recognizing that we aren't up to the task, that we don't have the ability and we don't have the strength to fight on our own. One author, Brian Chappell, put it this way. I thought this was helpful. Confession of our helplessness prepares us, even compels us to don the weapons of spiritual warfare. And I think that's exactly right. Once we know our need for God's resurrection power to be at work in us through the benefits that we have in our union with Christ, We recognize our helplessness. Then we have to know the particular enemy that we're going to be fighting against. And we have to be prepared in God's strength to resist his deceitful schemes. That's our second tactic. So first of all, we rely on God's power at work in us. And then secondly, we recognize and resist our enemy. Let me read verses 11 through 13. We need God's strength for this fight because we have an enemy who is bent on destroying us. And this enemy fights with unbelievable skill and ability, and that is far above ours, far above mine and far above yours. And so we have to resist this spiritual enemy, but we're not up for the task on our own. We can't resist him in our own strength. Twice in these verses, he says that we are to put on the whole armor of God in verse 11 and verse 13. We can't stand against this enemy in our own power. We have to be equipped with this armor, and it is the armor that God supplies to us. And that's our third tactic this morning. So we rely on God's power. We recognize and resist our enemy. And then thirdly, in this morning, we receive the gifts of God For the fight. You can see again in verse 14, if you'll look there with me, he begins with the same command that he's given us multiple times in verses 11 through 13. Verse 14, he says, Stand therefore. We are to stand firm. But what's interesting for most of us is it's very easy to read this passage and to think that we have to stand firm in order to receive the armor. It's that we tend to think that our effort comes first, that we stand and then God supplies the armor to us as we stand firm. And so our tendency is to believe that we have to impress God by showing our fortitude and then he's going to supply our need for armor. But I want you to notice the way this is written to us. Look again at verse 14, stand Therefore, And then he goes into, in verses 14 to 16, four different pieces of armor after this command to stand. And each of these pieces of armor is written with the word having. We've already got these pieces of armor, okay? So, stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, and this should be written actually, having taken up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming, all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so the standing happens because we have already been supplied with the armor, now there's a second command after standing that's given in verse 17. And take, and then he gives us two more pieces of armor. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the point of verses 14 to 16 and where we're going to start in explaining this armor is that you, you don't earn the right to have the armor. The armor is supplied to you. And it's God's armor that he gives to us. Now, how do I know that this is God's armor that he supplies to us. Well, there are three key passages that mention most of the pieces of this armor. And these three key passages are found in the book of Isaiah. And I want to show you these very quickly this morning and prove to you that this is actually God's armor. God and his messenger, the Messiah, are the ones who wear this armor. And then they provide this armor to us as we enter into spiritual battle. So listen to Isaiah 59, verses 14 to 18. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For the truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then look at this. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. Notice in this passage that it's God's armor. God puts the armor on and he puts this armor on in order to bring judgment on Israel's enemies and salvation to his people. He's the one that accomplishes judgment, that overcomes the enemy, and he's the one that brings salvation to his people. Next, listen to Isaiah chapter 11. A familiar passage to you, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, you can see here that it is Yahweh and his messenger, his Messiah, who brings salvation to his people by putting on this armor and by judging his enemy. And he's equipped here with another piece of this armor. Finally, in Isaiah 52, verses 5 to 7, you can see again that God's messenger is prepared by having his feet shod or prepared with the good news of God's powerful and glorious reign. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So I think what Paul has done in Ephesians chapter 6 is he's looked back to the book of Isaiah and he's drawing directly on these passages in Isaiah that speak about God and his Messiah equipping themselves for battle for the battle to judge his enemies and to save his people and what he's done is he's seen that picture of God equipped with armor and he's expanded it out and included other pieces of armor that are based on a Roman soldier's uh, preparation for battle so he's drawing on Isaiah and he's updating it for his current experience And the point in all of this is that we can be confident in this armor because it's the armor that God supplies because it's His. We can stand firm with what God has provided for us. So think of it this way picture a Roman soldier. And this Roman soldier is standing in the very front lines of the battle. And he's got his troops behind him, and he's watching a horde of barbarians come across the battlefield toward him, angry and carrying clubs and bent on his demise. And so this Roman soldier is standing there at the front of the lines, and he digs his foot into the ground, and his sandals have been laced up and lashed to his feet, and he's got two-inch thick leather with spikes on the bottom of his sandals that he roots into the ground. And as he looks down at his foot, he is confident that these sandals will hold him in the midst of battle. Then, after looking down at his sandals, he moves his eyes up to his sturdy leather belt, and he cinches it tighter, and he's confident that this belt will keep the loose parts of his garments Inside to him and tight so that he remains agile in the midst of battle. And then moving further up, he knocks on his breastplate and he smiles. Because he knows the blacksmith personally who forged this breastplate out of incredible heat. And he forged it specifically for this soldier. And this soldier knows that he's the best blacksmith in all of Rome. And he bangs his full body shield on the ground. And it's a shield made from thick wood and it's covered with animal skin. And it's doused in water. And it's doused in water to extinguish the flaming arrows that will surely come his way from the barbarian hordes. And he reaches up and he pushes his helmet down on his head to make sure that it's secure. The same blacksmith worked for hours on this helmet and the design is intricate and detailed and the iron on his head is thick and it gives him confidence. And finally, after pushing his helmet down, he reaches down and pulls his two two foot long dagger sword out and he smiles as he knows that this sword is sharp and strong and it will confidently slice through his enemies without breaking. And so after looking at his armor, he looks up to see the enemy approaching, and he is able to stand firm, not in his own strength or ability, but he's able to trust the armor that has been provided for him by the entire imperial might of the Roman Empire. Now, our battle is not fought against flesh and blood like this Roman soldier. But you and I put on the armor that is given to us by God to stand firm during these spiritually dark and evil days. So what specifically is the armor that God provides? Look in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth we have received the gift of truth from god we've learned a lot about truth in the book of ephesians in chapter 1 in verse 13 the gospel is the word of truth in chapter 4 in verse 24 the truth is in jesus in chapter 4 in verse 25 you and i are to speak the truth to one another rather than speaking lies In chapter 5, we are to walk in the light, and walking in the light means pursuing what is good and right and true. And so God has given us the gift of truth so that we know what reality truly is. We know how things are and how they actually work in the world. And I'll tell you, there may be no more important piece of armor for you and for me right now than the belt of truth. It's a crazy time right now, and there's so much information coming at us from all different areas. Put on truth. Fill your mind with what is true. Ask yourself this question. What do I know is true according to the word of God? That is a gift that God has given to us that we can trust in the midst of battle. Second, in verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this could mean a couple of different things. Two options here. It could mean that you and I as believers united to Christ have received the objective righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God has declared us righteous because we are united to Christ. Or this could mean that you and I actually begin to put on righteousness. We imitate God. We act righteous in our daily lives. Now the reality is those two aren't all that different in a lot of ways. They're different enough, but they do go hand in hand. Because we've been declared objectively righteous through justification by faith in Christ, we begin to actually live out righteousness and obey God and grow in virtue and character. So you stand firm in the forgiving grace of God and the declaration of righteousness that you've received. And then because of that declaration, You begin to work it out and live in righteousness and justice with your neighbor. The third piece of armor. Look at the beginning of verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now the point here is that we are to stand firm. We are able to stand firm because we've been prepared for the fight by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the good news of God's reconciliation with man through Christ. That reconciliation has come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel brings peace. It is the gospel of peace. It brings peace to us. It brings peace to our minds and to our relationships with others because there's no greater human need than peace with God. It's the most important thing, the most vital thing we could ever have, because you and I are designed to live in harmony and peace with God, and that was broken and taken from the human race in the Garden of Eden, and we can't live well without peace and a relationship with God, and the good news of the gospel is the proclamation that that peace has been restored. And when you know that that peace has been restored and you've experienced that reconciliation, then that prepares you to stand against the devil's lies, against his accusations. The fourth piece of armor, verse 16, in all circumstances, having taken up the shield of faith. You could actually say it like this, in addition to all these, having taken up the shield of faith. Faith will be so important for each one of us during these very difficult days. I'll tell you, this week, I can't remember what day it was, but Monday or Tuesday, I woke up and was just stressed about this whole thing and what's happening in the world and uh, anxious, stressed. And when I got to my office, I got my Bible out and opened up to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it's an entire chapter dealing with faith. And that's the the theme of the chapter. And the author of Hebrews basically goes through all of these different Bible characters and shows how they demonstrated faith. He's looking at the people of God throughout history. And when I read that chapter, I'm always struck by how people of faith throughout history have encountered incredibly difficult circumstances. I mean, everyone in that list went through it. They had incredibly difficult things that they encountered in their lives. And yet, the essence of their faith is that they were able to look beyond the difficult circumstances and they were able to even look beyond this life to the culmination and the completion of God's promises in the next life. And Hebrews even says They didn't receive the promises. They lived in faith their entire lives and waited for them and hoped and believed in them, but they didn't receive them. They continued to believe and trust in God's power and goodness despite the difficult circumstances and despite not having their faith become sight in this life. And that's so important for us during this time. And it's important because Paul mentions here in verse 16 how vital faith is to extinguishing the darts and the attacks of Satan. Look there in verse 16. In addition to all these, or in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith is vital for dealing with the attacks of Satan. Obviously, Satan is not attacking us with literal flaming arrows. We don't have a physical shield to battle against him. But Satan's strategy here has not changed at all since the Garden of Eden. He's still doing the same thing, and it is incredibly effective among us. What did he do in the Garden? Satan wanted Eve to doubt God's goodness. That's it. He wanted Eve to doubt God's goodness and the truthfulness of his word. He wanted to undermine her faith in God's character. That was his tactic. So, for us, take up the shield of faith by believing God's goodness in all circumstances. And take up the shield of faith to deny the lies and the deceit and the trickery of the evil one. Because he wants you to doubt God's character, particularly during this time. Now, the last two pieces of armor here in verse 17. These are the last two mentioned and these would have been the last two that a Roman soldier would have actually taken up in the midst of a battle. And he wouldn't have put on his helmet and gotten his sword out until he saw the enemy approaching. Look at the beginning of verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. What is this talking about? The helmet of salvation is speaking here specifically about God's protection of his people in the midst of spiritual warfare. So this is isn't really talking about the gift of salvation that we receive from God, a home in heaven with him. There's certainly an element of that here, but specifically what this is talking about is God's protection and salvation of his people in the midst of the fight. He will keep us from spiritual harm, and we can trust him to do that. I mean, this is one of the reasons that in the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that we pray is not to be led into temptation, but we ask God to deliver us from the evil one. We want spiritual protection in the midst of the fight. And so taking up the helmet of salvation means I am confident in God and I am asking him to keep me from harm and from doubt and from sin in the midst of difficult times and heightened temptation. Lastly, the sixth piece of armor here verse 17, take up take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. This would have been the last thing the soldier would have done as the enemy approached. He would have pulled out his sword and gotten it at the ready position. You can see very clearly in verse 17 that the sword is the word of God. And it's the word of God that is made active and effective in us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works as we are exposed to the word and creates motivation and change in us. But even that reality requires faith and trust from us that God will keep and protect us. So what does it practically look like for you and for me to take up The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, this coming week. What does that look like? Engaging in spiritual fight this week with the Word of God. What does that mean? Well, if Satan's primary tactic, the way he battles against us and tries to cause spiritual harm, if his primary tactic is through deceit and through lies and through deception, then you and I have to use the truth of the Bible to battle against those lies and to expose those lies. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan. He used the word of God. But here's the thing. It's not what he's talking about here is not just reciting a scripture verse like a mantra in order to try to battle against Satan. It's not a magic formula that you do to expose and downplay or battle against the lies. What he's talking about here is training our minds in the scriptures, the word of God so that we can see the lie for what it is, and so that we know exactly how to expose and answer the lie. We recognize it, and we show how deceptive and shallow that lie is. So we fill our minds with Bible, and then Bible is what will come out, and we'll be able to exercise the use of the sword with skill and ability in the midst of the battle. So those are the six pieces of armor. And here's what I'm saying to you today. You, as a believer in Christ, have been given already the very armor of God. You have it. You don't have to earn it. You have been given the armor of the powerful God of the universe. It's there for you. You have it. You have truth. You have righteousness. You have the good news of peace. You have faith. You have protection, salvation from God. You have the word of God. You have been equipped with armor provided for you by the Lord of the universe. And he has equipped you with this armor by going into the heat of battle for you and giving his life for you. And he rose victorious over the hordes of hell and broke their power. And now he equips you with that resurrection power for the battle. And so, this week, you and I can stand firm In his strength and in the armor that he provides. So here's what I would say. Trust your armor. Be like that Roman soldier who sticks his foot in the ground, examines his armor, and knows that it will hold in the midst of battle. Let's pray. Father, we feel like we're in the midst of battle right now. We are, spiritually speaking. There's there's so much happening in our hearts and minds. There's anxiety and fear and panic and worry over all sorts of things. Economic realities, sickness, loved ones. We need your armor, and the the beauty, Father, is that we have it. It's here. It's here. We've already been equipped with it because we're united with the Lord Jesus Christ and it is his armor that we have. And so my prayer, Lord, for our church body at Woodhaven is that we would appropriate the use of this armor, that we would examine it and be confident in your truth, that we would be sure of your righteousness, that we would know the peace that has been brought through the gospel That we would believe your word through faith. That we would ask you for spiritual protection. For salvation in the midst of the battle. And that we would confidently use the sword of the spirit. The word of God to expose the lies of Satan. To win the victory each and every day. Ultimately we stand in your strength and in your armor, Lord, and we thank you for that reality. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.